This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Democrat Laura Curran, the first woman elected county executive on Long Island, breaking a glass ceiling and vowing to break with the past. Laura Curran joining us live. It's Cut to the Chase with Laura Curran. Entertaining and informative. Thought-provoking conversations that get right to the point. Observers say her future is bright. Here to tell us more about it, Laura Curran. Now here's Laura Curran. Hello, everyone. Welcome to your Sunday afternoon. I have a little bit of this mini jet lag from springing forward. Uh, they keep talking about changing it. Are they ever actually going to do it? I think it's time. Uh, anyway, I'm so glad that you're joining us this Sunday afternoon on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Special shout out to everyone listening on our stream on WABCradio.com and on the 77 WABC mobile app. You can put us in your pocket and take us anywhere. So we are going to cut to the chase. We're going to get right to it because I've got three great guests. And then later on, I want to hear from you. Uh, first, I want to thank Curtis for having me on to preview the show a bit. I'll be talking to Marianne Williamson, the best-selling author of inspirational books and Oprah Winfrey show regular, who had the guts to announce she is challenging Joe Biden for the Democratic primary. She'll talk about being dismissed as kooky and being publicly made fun of by White House Press Secretary uh, Jean, uh, Karine Jean-Pierre. Uh, let's, play, let's play that clip. I mean, if I had a, a uh, what is it called, a little, a little globe here, crystal wall. wall, that I can tell you, but I, I imagine eight ball, whatever. If I could feel her aura, I, I, just, I, just don't have I just don't have anything to share on that. So you can hear the guffawing of reporters making fun of someone who is known as a, as a new age writer, an inspirational author. Uh, for the record, she never spoke or wrote about crystals or auras. So just just to get that straight. Um, and she did punch back. So we'll talk to Marianne Williamson about that shortly. Next, we will dig into the latest news out today about Long Island Congressman George Santos, the alleged compulsive liar slash con man slash guy the New York Republicans wish would just go away already. Uh, wait till you hear about his latest doozy. We'll discuss that with Fox 5 reporter Jody Goldberg. Uh, she actually sat down with Santos recently for an interview. And then later in the show, you may have seen Friday, the sudden collapse of Silicon Valley Bank out in California. So this this is one of the most prominent, was one of the most prominent lenders to the tech sector. Uh, it played a key role in America's tech industry. And... I'm wondering, and we're going to ask New York Times economic reporter Gina Smilak, is this the canary in the coal mine for the banking system? Is this where it all starts to unravel? Uh, we'll get into all of that. And then, dear listeners, I want to talk to you. I have a question for you today. Would you cross party lines and vote for a candidate of another party? What would it take you to pull that lever to fill in that bubble for someone on the other side? I'll be taking your calls later at 800 848 9222. That's 800-848-WABC. Um, so let's get to our first guest, Marianne Williamson. Uh, there's a lot of noise on the Republican side because there is no incumbent. We're watching polls showing Trump beating DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Mike Pence, others for the Republican presidential primary next year. Um, and you, by the way, I have to add, you know that down ballot Democrats are rooting for Trump to be the nominee because it's easier to run against him than some of these other folks, they think. Um, on the Democratic side of the presidential race, however, everyone's waiting for that elusive Biden announcement. Is it coming? When is it coming? He and his team and his wife have given enough winks and nudges and little hints that he is running, but it hasn't, you know, it hasn't been official yet. Uh, so. My first guest, Marianne Williamson, political activist, best-selling author of 14 books, inspirational speaker who's used to speaking to crowds of thousands, actually had the guts, the chutzpah, the cojones to get in early and announce her candidacy for president last week. Marianne Williamson, welcome to Cut to the Chase. 
Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me, Laura. So we played the clip of Corinne Jean-Pierre's comments that I, I actually found quite insulting from her podium at the White House. Uh, and you pushed back with a video of your own. Why was it important for you to get that out? Well, you know, it's um, it's a balancing act, isn't it? If you respond to every smear, lie, mischaracterization, you know, you can come across like you are playing victim, you have right. a chip on your shoulder. But on the other hand, if you don't respond at all, there are times when a narrative just sort of hangs in the air. And I thought trotting out the presidential press secretary, for God's sakes, on the podium at the White House briefing room to smear, to lie, um, it had to be responded to. And um, I also think it's so sad to see how they're trotting out women to Mm -hmm. do the dirty work in this and uh, that women would allow themselves to be used that way. But, you know, I'm also aware that's not what matters here. What matters here is the um, 18 million Americans who can't fulfill their prescriptions that their doctors give them. What matters is the 68,000 Americans who are dying every year without health care. What matters is that one third of Americans are working, working Americans are working for less than $15 an hour and can't find their, um, can't find a place to live. 12 million hungry children in this country, half of our seniors living on less than $25,000 a year, one in four Americans living in uh, medical debt. These are the kinds of things that they don't want to be talking about. They don't want me in the conversation to be talking about. And so they create all this fairy dust to distract and to deflect. It's a age-old technique. Mm-hmm. And um, what matters is you just keep on keeping on and talking about the things that matter. Now, you ran in 2020. I remember you on that lineup with that whole gaggle of candidates gunning for Trump, Sanders, Warren, Buttigieg, Klobuchar, Beto, Gillibrand, Booker, Yang, Gabbard, Castor, de Blasio, and a couple of others that people don't remember. But you made quite an impression in that second debate, in that whole crowded gaggle. Uh, your name after that debate was Googled more than any other in the lineup. Um, America was intrigued by you. So now that you're running again, how do you break through the clutter and the dismissiveness that you're encountering from the media? Is it hard to get a foothold on people's attention? Well, I'm here on the ground in New Hampshire right now, mm. and I sense a difference in the American people. Really? The American people have been played over the last 50 years. A $50 trillion transfer of wealth has gone over the last 48 years from the bottom 90% to the top 1%. And people are feeling abandoned by their government and have finally gotten uh, to the realization that this political status quo is not sending out a cavalry to help them. And there's a sense that is a correct sense that you go from the Republicans to the Democrats, and there are certain things that never change. Now, don't, don't, please get me clear. I am a Democrat, mm-hmm. and I am not in any way comparing the two parties, but uh, the way I'm looking at it right now, uh, the Republicans will give you crumbs. The Democrats will give you a couple cookies, but you can't live on cookies either. There is a system of economic justice in this injustice in this country, and we need to do more than just help people survive the injustice. We need to end the system of injustice. We need to end an entire chapter of American history that for 50 years has created this kind of system of economic royalism that has turned the majority of Americans into little more than economic serfs. We have to call that system on what it is. And it is a system that places short-term profit maximization for huge corporate entities before the health and the safety and the well-being of the American people and of the planet itself. And that system will not disrupt itself. We, the people, need to do that. And that's why I'm running. There is a narrative that some Democrats are spinning that you are enabling Republicans. Um, just full disclosure, I've gotten that criticism myself when I've called out things that I disagree with, um, that you're enabling Republicans, you're using their talking points, and you're hurting the party, sort of the Ralph Nader spoiler argument. What do you say to that? Well, first of all, Ralph Nader uh, ran third party. I'm Mm. running as a Democrat, Mm -hmm. and that's what they don't want you to look at. There's no logic there. How can you be a spoiler if you're running as Mm. a Democrat? You know, in a democracy, theoretically, it's the voters who are supposed to decide. So when you yeah, what what a concept, huh? Yeah, that's the DNC narrative, or that's the political inside. You know, Democratic establishment elite inside. That's their narrative. The only narrative that matters is the narrative inside the head and the heart of voters on election day. 
And uh, it's hard to counter that narrative when they have the kind of platforms that they have. But I think we all need to remember this is supposed to be the voters' decision, not the decision made by a few men sitting around a table smoking cigars and deciding who the nominee will be. That's right. It's the people who decide. And the people are saying, at least 37 percent of Democratic voters, who are people, are saying they don't want uh, Biden to run. That's according to a recent AP poll. Uh, did what part of what spur you to get into this race is is that part of that based on the job that Joe Biden is doing or do you not do you think he is not doing a good job? I think that the president is providing too little uh, and too slowly. Um, I think we need more than the amelioration of stress. We need fundamental economic reform. We need to make an economic U-turn in this country. And I think that's what we need to offer the American people in 2024, or the Democrats won't win. That's what I believe. I believe that uh, when the president says that the economy is doing well, we need to remember that it's doing well for 20 percent of us. Uh, The 20% of Americans for whom the economy is doing well are living on some enchanted economic island. However, that island is surrounded by a vast sea of economic despair. And that's the mistake that the Democrats made in 2016, not realizing how much anger and rage there is out there. And that same rage is out there now. I'm sorry, if if you're going to go in 2024... Uh, with a message to the American people that the economy is doing well. That's something concocted in a think tank in Washington, D.C. It is directly contrary to the visceral experience of the majority of Americans. So you're very clear on your message and what your priorities are, uh, but you got to get that message out to people. And for that, you need money to be on TV, mail, whatever it is, travel. Uh, is raising money a- as an insurgent candidate I imagine that would be a challenge because donors, number one, they want a safe bet. And number two, they might not want to get on the incumbent's bad side. Are you finding it a challenge to get the resources you need to get your message out? Right now, I'm very moved by how many people are sending in $3, $5, hmm. $10, $50, as well as people who are sending in $1,000. You know, the maximum is 3300 and at the same time, that $3 matters. So far, I have what I need at the moment to get the bare minimum of staff that is necessary to move us forward. But in order to be the kind of contender that we need to be, absolutely, we're going to need a lot more. But I'll tell you something. Uh, I think a lot of people are responding to this message. Uh, that the economic status quo will not disrupt itself. That disruption is going to have to come from us. And I hope that anyone who is listening right now and agrees with that will go to Marianne2024.com and throw in whatever is comfortable for you. Um, I don't don't think, you know, you said something about wanting to donate to a safe bet. Mm. Um, I don't think that when I've done political giving and donation that I've been thinking, is this person a safe bet necessarily at all? I'm thinking the big donors, the special interests. Well, we're not taking corporate money, of course. Not that I can imagine any corporation wanting to give me money. Mm-hmm. So in my case, there aren't super PACs. There's no, there's, there's not that kind of money. It's a maximum of thirty three hundred. But I, I, you know, Bernie didn't take corporate money either. Uh, it's that ten dollars, five dollars, twenty dollars, twenty five of people who say. I don't care if there's a safe bet or not. By the way, what does that even mean in today's world? So Hillary Clinton was supposedly a safe bet. It's that we mu- these yeah. things must be said. And these kinds of policies, universal health care, tuition-free college uh, and tech schools, free child care, family and sick paid leave, a livable wage. Laura, these things are considered moderate positions in every other advanced democracy. And they should be considered moderate positions today. And in a... Uh, the richest country in the world, these are things which every citizen should be able to take for granted. Too many Americans, the majority of Americans, are living on a level of economic survival right now. And if all the Democratic Party or any party is going to offer them is a better way to survive that rather than a way to cut the cord with the system that ensures that so many people are living on survival, no, we have to get in there. And so when when that system says, I'm not qualified, what they're saying is that they don't perceive me as qualified to effectuate their agenda. Damn right. What I'm qualified to do is to disrupt it. That's why I'm running. And I think there are a lot of people who say, yeah, I'll throw in my $10 for that. You know, you endorsed Bernie after dropping out of the race in 2020. Um, but, it, you know, you you support very progressive policies. 
Uh, but it feels to me that there is something else undergirding your motivation, and that is to create a government that you believe lives up to the people instead of the 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 political folks deciding what the people want. Well, Do I get I that right? It, well, yes, except that in a very serious way, they're the same thing because it is the status quo that is denying people um, – a system in which we have what we had in the 1970s. You know, in the 1970s, the average American worker had decent benefits, could afford a house, could afford a car, could afford a yearly vacation, could afford for one parent to stay home if they chose, and could afford to send their kids to college. That was the 1970s. We have a system today which not only has sucked so many of the financial uh, resources away from the bottom 90%, but is institutionally resistant to repairing that problem, to fixing that problem, to solving that problem, because the system as it now exists is the problem. Washington is a system of legalized bribery, where insurance companies and pharmaceutical companies and big oil companies, chemical companies, food companies, the the, the uh, gun manufacturers and defense contractors run the show, and we the people are ha- going to have to get in there and disrupt that system. Real quick, t- 20 seconds, uh, free tuition to state colleges, Medicare for all, um, all of that. How is it paid for? Okay, first of all, we had free tuition at state colleges and universities until the 1960s. And when you ask me how to pay for it, the question is how are we paying for what we have now? We have an $88 billion medical debt, one in four Americans uh, living with medical debt, 500000 going into medical debt every single year. We pay 20% of our GDP goes into health care, and in countries that have universal health care, it's 5 6 and 7%. The real question is how are we affording the massive cost, not only to our pocketbooks, but to our lives that we are paying because we don't have universal health care. Marianne Williamson, I want to thank you very much for your time. Good luck out there. And uh, all right. Uh, see you on the see you on the campaign trail. All uh, my best to you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And thanks for listening to Cut to the Chase on Talk Radio 77 WABC. I'll be right back to talk about Santos with Jody Goldberg, Fox 5. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Laura Curran joining us live. It's Cut to the Chase with Laura Curran on 77 WABC. Welcome back to Cut to the Chase. I am Laura Curran, and you are listening to Talk Radio 77 WABC. Um, If you missed my interview with Marianne Williamson before the break, you can catch it on the podcast. Get it wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, she's kind of carving out a Trump lane for herself in the Democratic Party, which I think is very interesting. Uh, these insurgent candidates sometimes can get traction and get success. We'll see what happens. Anyway, changing gears now. We all know that George Santos, Congressman George Santos from my beloved Long Island, uh, lied about apparently everything, including high school, college, religion, his grandparents fleeing the Holocaust, his Wall Street career, his animal charity, appearing on Hannah Montana, producing a Broadway show, being an executive in Brazilian media. Uh, we've all heard how he ale- he is alleged and I'm saying alleged, to have swindled a homeless vet with a sick dog, ripped off an Amish dog breeder. Uh, We know he's being investigated by local state federal prosecutors, the FBI, House Ethics Committee, uh, for allegedly shady fundraising. The newest investigation is looking into his role, as Curtis was talking about in the previous hour, in a credit card skimming operation. Uh, We also know that New York Republicans want him gone because he is their biggest liability. So here to talk about the latest news is Fox 5 reporter Jody Goldberg. Jody, welcome to Cut to the Chase. Oh, where's Jody? While we're getting Jody on the line, I just want to talk to you listeners about this latest news. Um, Newsday today reports. Oh, hi, Jody. How are you? 
whenever whenever you can, you can go on, or I'm just so happy to be speaking with you. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. So we're on now. Usually, just so everyone knows, Jody's usually the one interviewing me, but we're turning the tables a little bit uh, because you recently sat down with Santos for an interview, and I want to get into that in a second. But first, I want to get your take on the latest news today. So Newsday Today reported that after Santos conceded to Tom Swazi back in 2020, when when Tom Swazi beat him, Santos raised about $265,000 for his Stop the Steal campaign. So so let's get this timing right. Uh, Swazi beats him. He concedes the race. He calls Swazi and says, OK, you won. Congratulations. Then he goes on to raise all of this money, $265,000, saying stop the steal and it's going to pay for a lawsuit and a court case uh, and a recount. None of those things happened. So he used this sort of Trump playbook, stopping the steal. He said what happened, what they did to me is what they did to Donald J. Trump, uh, neglecting to say that he had already conceded the race. Did that surprise you, that piece of news today? Nothing at this point. I have to say, surprises me just because of his track record and all of the news we're learning about him. It's almost like every day you're going to turn on the television, you're going to look in the paper, you're going to see on Twitter something new coming out about him. And you have to say, also at the Stop the Steal event, he was allegedly wearing a stolen Burberry scarf from a former roommate of his. Wow. So he conceded, you know, to Tom Swazi, everything was supposedly okay and then he said that he he lost unfairly mm-hmm. that he was the victim at, he's always saying that he's the victim and so when you look at the bigger picture this isn't the first thing this isn't the only thing it's just another flag in the george santo saga mm. so how did you get a sit down with him um you can go to fox 5's website to watch the five minute interview and they kept it very strictly to five minutes how did you land that I had been talking to him, and we had been going back and forth. He lives, you know, he his district is here. It's on Long Island. I'm Fox 5 Long Island reporter. He, you know, parts of uh, Nassau County and Queens. I was, you know, covering Congressman Swazi when he was there. And so I wanted to get to know him. We know, you know, there had been stories about him. We started speaking. He answered me one day. And when we spoke off the record, I said, Congressman Santos, let's just go on the record about exactly this. Mm. People want to hear your story. And so a lot of what he didn't understand was, you know, why does everyone care so much about me? And I tried to explain that people are wondering because you're not making yourself available. You had these embellishments on your resume, but you didn't come out and speak about them. You like you carefully handpicked who you've spoken to this far, including myself, which I was very glad to have the opportunity to speak to him, mind you, five minutes is a very short time to cover everything and discuss it all. And politicians are good at dissembling and rambling and filling up time. So I love the way you said at the beginning, if you ramble, I'm going to interrupt you. Clear? And he's like, okay, clear. Um, what was the personal vibe? Like, this is going to sound like a crazy question, but what's the what's the energy that he gives off? What's he like to sit with? Does, does he feel like a liar? Does he feel like a regular guy? What's the vibe there? So first of all, I had to put him, you know, on that constraint where if he did ramble, I wanted to cut him off because the last thing I wanted to do was sit there and just listen to him. I had questions to ask him. Yeah. And you did. For instance, I'm sorry, go ahead. You know what? His energy, he exudes confidence. Mm. He's charming. He speaks. He comes across as somebody who is intelligent. And when he looks at you and he's speaking, most people assume he's telling the truth. Yeah. And that record, I don't think that he could have made it this far if he wasn't a good liar. Mm. You know, if he wasn't embellishing, if he said that he didn't go to college, he himself said that the Nassau County Republican Party would not have endorsed him, would not have gotten him, you know, would not have backed him this far. And he may or may not have a point. I don't know. I don't know. The the kid who grew up in Queens and, you know, got, got the GED, that, that's a compelling story these days. I don't I don't think he can blame the GOP uh, for lying. I just I, I think that's really kind of pathetic. He has a story and he tells it well in yeah. the interview. You said GED. I'm still waiting to see his GED. I spoke to him. <laughs> 
for five minutes. And then a week or so ago, I followed up with him. I wanted to talk about his legislation and I wanted to just see what he was doing. He said many times at this point that he's going to have town halls, possibly on Twitter. He's Mm. going to speak to his constituents. And I'm just waiting for that to happen. And I'm also waiting for him to show me his GED that he promised he would show me. Wow. He also promised, or I don't know if it was a promise, but he said that he would talk to you about the $705,000 personal loan he made to his campaign. Now, mind you, this is a $705,000 personal loan from a guy who a little before that couldn't even pay his rent. And he said, he'll show you everything. Have you gotten any follow-up on that? I'm waiting. You know, I'm waiting. I'm here patiently waiting. I'm eager to see it just like everybody else. And people want to know where it came from. Is it real? Was it his? Where did it come from? Burisma, Ukraine, you know, he told us where it didn't come from. Russia, where, where did it come from? And that's just what many people are wondering. He said he'd show me. I'd love to see it. But how seriously can he take his word? Now, he, the way he portrays it in his interview with you, he is a machine of activity. He is a busy guy. He, co- he says, quote, I'm one of the most dynamic ledge shops, meaning legislation shops. We're really cranking it out. Um, meanwhile, these, he's having a hard time finding people to work with. But he says, quote, I have my allies in Congress and we've done fantastic work together, end quote. Uh, I'm sure it's, you know, his Long Island colleagues can't claim that. Is there any truth to that? Does he have a dynamic ledge shop, one of the most dynamic ledge shops that's cranking it out? So what I will tell you, like you said, his Long Island uh, fellow Congress members, they are, you know, totally turning their backs towards him. There was a a um, there was a conference last week with other members of the Long Island delegation. He was not invited. He was not there as far as. You know, his productivity, he says he's one of the most productive members of Congress, except you have to question how productive can you be if you're not sitting on any committee? Mm -hmm. But he says he is. And so do you take his word for it? He has a few pieces of legislation. He is backing other members of Congress. He is backing their legislation. So what exactly is he doing now? I asked him specifically, who are your allies? Mm. And he told me. He does not wish to say their names. He doesn't want there to be a, quote, witch hunt. He he feels that many times when he divulges pieces of information, the members of the media go on and ask these people questions. But I'd like to know. I want to know who he's working with. I want to know who locally he's working with. He says he's working on legislation here on waterways. Is it the mayor of Glen Cove? Who are we dealing with? We know in the town of North Hempstead, Supervisor Jen DeSena doesn't want any part of him. So who is it? Well, let's remember we've got the local races, the legislative races, and the town races coming up this year. So the Republicans are newly empowered in Nassau. So you see they are working very hard to do everything they can to shun him and get rid of him. You have the Republican DA opening an investigation about his his financial practices. So they're not going to be anywhere near the guy. Um, but you cover Long Island and you talk to real people. So forget the political class and, and the chattering class, the media class like us. Um, what do real people say? Do you find anyone who's in the district who supports him, who thinks he's doing a great job? I will tell you this. I have seen people going into his office. I haven't heard what they're discussing, hmm. but there are the majority, I mean, look at the Newsday Siena poll that came out. I believe it was, you know, a high 70, 78 percent. Don't quote me on that. But a lot of people want him out. Mm-hmm. He still says that people support him. I asked him straight up about backing the legislation to make the AR-15 or a light gun. Yeah, the national gun. Simple. Of course. And he said there are his constituents who are really in favor of this. And I just don't know who. Yeah, the North Shore of Long Island, that is not a winning issue. (laughs) Right. It just doesn't seem like a priority. And people who I speak with tell me that they want him out. They feel like he's a liar. They can't take him seriously. They don't know what he's done. These are people who have, you know, who I've spoken to Hmm. who are just alarmed about it. And, you know, your your Congress member, you have issues to go to passports, you know, stolen passports, types of burial for veterans. I mean, there are issues that you need them for. 
And I just don't know how well-received he is in the district. Hmm. So have you found one constituent who says, yeah, I like him? When I first started covering it and he was elected, I did find someone on the streets of Great Neck. Mm. It was Middle Neck Road who told me, call me crazy, but he does. That was the only person. Wow. So you did find one. Okay. Pretty cool. The unicorn, potentially. I guess the unicorn. I mean, there are... There are a lot more people against him so, than there are those for him. So let me ask you, as a reporter, um, you know, you, you, I've dealt with you. You have very good connective tissue. You're good to talk to talking to sources and getting interviews and all of that. How do you get him? Like, how do you say to? How do you make it in his interest to talk to you? Because the news isn't good. The criticism is harsh. How do you say, look, talk to me. Let, trust me. I'm the one that you can trust to talk to. Because you're not – and you weren't, like, nice to him. I mean, you weren't disrespectful. You weren't rude, but you didn't give him softballs. No, but I truly believe that I'm telling both sides of the story. Mm -hmm. I'm listening to what he has to say, and I'm also reporting on the other side, the side that people are unhappy with. You know, it's interesting. There's a bit of self-pity in him. He talks about this, quote, enormous inquisition in the interview. He says, I've operated honestly. Uh, Maybe the financial – Problems came from clerical errors or system errors. Uh, but this is the story that will continue to to bear fruit. And I know you'll be covering it. And as things progress, I'd love to have you back on, Jody. Thank you so much for coming on Cut to the Chase. Thank you. I'd love nothing more. All right. Sounds good. Uh, so in case you missed any of the show today, you can find the Cut to the Chase as a podcast on WABCradio.com along with the full and fabulous WABC lineup. So after the break, I want to talk to you. I want to take your calls, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-WABC. Would you cross party lines to vote for someone of a different party? Um, but before I take your calls, what we want to talk about Silicon Valley Bank. Will Friday's collapse of this bank spread financial contagion? I talked to New York Times economic reporter Gina Smilik for her take. You don't want to miss it. Next. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Laura Curran joining us live. It's Cut to the Chase with Laura Curran on 77 WABC. Welcome back to Cut to the Chase. I'm Laura Curran, and you're listening to 77 WABC. So it was the second biggest bank failure in American history, and it happened on Friday. Um, It's actually the biggest bank failure since the 2008 recession. Silicon Valley Bank collapsed on Friday, and it felt a little bit – it had a little tinge of the feeling of the bank runs of the Great Depression. Uh, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen uh, tried to soothe the nation, reassure the nation, saying that the banking system overall is resilient, and today said that the contagion – that was a word that she used – can be contained. So joining me now is New York Times reporter Gina Smilek. Gina has a brand-new book out, by the way, about the Fed. That's her beat. You know, the ones who control the interest rates and try to keep our economy as stable as possible. Uh, The book is getting great reviews, and it's called Limitless. The Federal Reserve takes on a new age of crisis. Gina, what are your sources telling you about the possible ripple effects of SVB's collapse? Is it a canary in the coal mine of our banking system? I think there are sort of two big concerns here. The first concern is just like what you just said, you know, that this might be a canary in the coal mine. You know, the reason that this bank failed was very much because interest rates have moved up so much and so quickly over the past year. It wasn't prepared for that. It had really taken on a lot of long-term assets, and it couldn't turn those assets into money quickly enough to pay back depositors when they came rushing. And so there is concern that other banks, you know, also might be caught off sides. Maybe they didn't prepare for higher interest rates, and maybe the same problem 
problem could sort of come knocking at their door. So I think that's one concern. I think the second concern is just that this was a really big bank and, you know, it had a lot of depositors. There's a real concern that those depositors might not be paid back in full. And if that is the case, if those depositors take a loss, you could really see other depositors across America, across the banking system, get a little bit nervous about their own deposits if they're uninsured, if they're above the 250000 mark for FDIC insurance. Now, and so there's this concern that they could pull that money and it could cause a bigger, bigger problem. So this is a banking that's very prominent, was very prominent in the tech se- sector, a big lender to tech companies. And we're seeing a strong jobs market right now in America, except for the tech sector. It seems every day we pick up the paper, there's a new, whether it's Twitter or eBay or PayPal or Meta, that's laying off workers. Is there a relation between what's going on, the instability in the tech sector, and the fact that this big tech sector bank has failed? Is there a con- What's the connection there? Yes, absolutely. And not to uh, talk my own book here, but sort of all, all roads lead back to Federal Reserve on this one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what's the connection? So, yes. So the tech sector has been really suffering as interest rates rise, partially just because they're very exposed to changes in interest rates. When interest rates go up, stock market tends to go down. That's how the tech sector funds themselves. And so we really tend to see this sort of, you know, sort of problems in the tech sector when you have a a moment like this in Mm -hmm. the economy. And so the tech sector is just, as you noted, they've gotten walloped over the last year, year and a half. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, really, really tough. And so the tech sector is really struggling. And so these companies that have been banking with Silicon Valley Bank are starting to really draw on their deposits. You know, they are suffering for money. They need liquid cash. They're pulling money out of the bank and they're all doing it kind of at the same time. And so that's really how this problem got started. Mm, You know, as the bank is trying to make good on those deposits and pay them back, banks don't hold all of that money just in a vault somewhere. They lend it out. They do things with it. And Silicon Valley Bank just didn't have enough cash and it couldn't raise enough cash quickly enough to pay these depositors back without cashing in some treasury bonds, which had fallen in value also because of the higher interest rates. And so, you know, just a sort of interest rate story all around that that really was the squeeze that got put on this bank. Hmm. So what's happened in the tech sector are the sources you're speaking to. Do they think that this could happen in other sectors and affect other banks? Or is this specifically siloed? So there's definitely concern that other banks could be sitting on long-term debt that's worth less than they're actually marking down in their books when they report sort of their asset holdings. That's a concern. This bank, however, was kind of unusual in Mm. that it just had a huge number of really big venture capital firms that were parking really big deposits at it. You know, it didn't have a lot of depositors who were in sort of the the smaller below 250,000 bracket. And the reason that matters so much is those 250,000 plus depositors are much flightier when they get nervous. Um, they tend to pull their their money out. You know, if they see any sign of trouble, they know that the FDIC isn't there to make them whole, you know, if a bank goes down. And so they're much more likely to kind of take their money and run. And that's when you really run into problems. This was sort of a classic bank run. We've seen them all throughout history. Yeah. And I think that there's a feeling that, you know, there there isn't that kind of exposure at a lot of banks. This was sort of an unusual bank in that way. So what can the Fed, now that this has happened – and or in partnership or apart from the government do, what do they do now? Are they are they concerned? Is there is there an action that they can take to kind of contain the damage? So this is the several trillion dollar question, I would say. Okay. <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, 20 seconds. Me, <laughs> yeah, funny for me as someone who just wrote a whole book on this topic, yeah. I did not expect it to be relevant this quickly. Well, it's actually um, great but... for sales, so hey. <laughs> Use it. <laughs> but yeah, no, so they, there are several things the Fed can do. The first and most important one is they can just make sort of ready loans available to all these banking institutions through their discount window, which is something they always have available. Banks can borrow at it, banks can use it in times of crisis. They basically take their treasuries and say, hey, 
dear Fed, can I please have some money from in exchange for my treasuries? And that, that's how they get short-term funding. So that's available. They can do that. There's also a lot of talk about the Fed and the FDIC and other regulators teaming up to try and make these depositors who had big deposits at Silicon Valley Bank whole so that they don't lose money so that the rest of depositors across the system don't get nervous. And I think we're really seeing a lot of chatter about that this afternoon. It's not clear that everyone's going to sign on to that plan. The mm. other thing, and I think the first most hopeful thing that everyone's trying to make happen is that they could just sell off Silicon Valley Bank. Somebody else could buy it. Somebody mm. else could buy various parts of it. And in that way, these, these depositors could be made whole. And I think that's probably the easiest and most hopeful plan. Yeah. I'm hearing a lot of concern from my sources, though, that it's just such a short time frame that it might be hard to pull off in time. Wow. Yeah, that would be a, quite a deft uh, thing to accomplish. Uh, one more question before I let you go. Uh, we've been hearing about this recession that's supposed to be coming any minute now. Uh, I read in, a, in one of the newspapers, someone called it the Godot recession, like the, the play Waiting for Godot and Godot Never Comes. You know, it's always six months away, three months away. Uh, folks you talk to, the smart people uh, in the world on these issues, should know. What are they saying? What are they telling you about a possible recession? Everybody's recession call is probably pending right now, given the potential banking crisis. We're pending, watching. but actually <laughs> happening. But yeah. but I think I think that prior to you know leaving the banking potential banking crisis aside, I think most people think that actually the economy has been just shockingly resilient to the Fed's interest rate increases. And so while we were all anticipating a recession, because usually when the Fed moves this much, that's what you would kind of expect. Yeah. I think most people are now thinking that recession is going to come later, maybe more severe when it eventually comes, mm. but it's probably not going to show up too quickly. And so I think what you what most people will tell you is sometime next year, maybe, you know, maybe even midway through next year, but nothing, nothing on the immediate horizon. Gina Smilik, thank you so much. Your book Limitless has just come out. It's gotten great reviews and actually, who knew it would be more relevant than ever. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. So uh, if you want to hear more from Gina about the book and about the Fed and how the Fed tries to maintain an apolitical role in an ever more hypercharged political environment, you can listen to my podcast coming out tomorrow where I interview her a little bit more. It's also called Cut to the Chase. Uh, okay, your calls, 800-848-9222. The boards are lighting up. Okay, um, someone, I asked about party lines. Would you vote for someone from another party? We have Scott. Scott from Bloomingdale. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm well, thank you. and appreciate taking my phone call. Of course. I, I had... I had mentioned to your uh, colleagues uh, in, in uh, earlier that if the person is not too far left or too far right, somewhere in the center, I'll take a page out of your boss's playbook. And, you know, John Casamitidis always says common sense. That's right. That's he, he does say that. And that resonates with so many people. And Scott, I think a lot of people uh, would agree with you. They're not crazy partisan one side or another. They're somewhere in the middle. They want someone who can run a government, who can who understands a budget, how, how to get stuff done, uh, keep people safe, keep the sewage working, all that stuff without without the drama that we seem to have and all of the egos and a lot of blather and nonsense that seems to dis distract from the actual job. Correct. And, and that's how I uh, go into the voting booth. I always want to make sure that I'm voting for the individual I think is going to do the better job. Thank you very much, Scott. We have Ganesh in New Jersey who wants to talk about Marianne Williamson, who I interviewed at the top of the hour. Ganesh, what are you thinking? Yes. Before I speak about uh, Marion Wilson, Williamson, I would like to know if you agree with Tulsa Gabbard, because I do. Mm. She's a really interesting one. I found I've, I found her very interesting and fascinating on those uh, debates. What was that? Five years ago, whatever it was, where Marianne Williamson also made an impression. And then she's really, as we see, she's changed her party registration away from Democrat. Uh, it's interesting to see more people doing that, and it kind of reflects what's going on in the population. We're seeing more and more people not registering as Republican and Democrat, but registering in a, either a smaller party or just as a blank or an independent. What's your thought? Well, I do not agree with what Miriam Williamson's what what she said. Is she too progressive she for, for you? Too progressive for you? 
she is for reparations and that mm. has nothing to do with spirituality, which she claims to be. And I feel that it is not, it is not, um, yeah, you're, you don't jive with that. Ganesh, thank you so much for the call. Uh, we have someone named Vito from Staten Island wants to talk about George Santos. George, what's on your mind? Yes, ma'am. How are you? How's everything? I'm not from the Congressman's district. Um, I have called his office, and I have repeatedly told whoever answers the phone to make sure the congressman does not resign from office. Oh, really? Why? All that because I want to know how Nancy Pelosi and how Charles Schumer, who have not worked a single day in their lives outside of being politicians, are multimillionaires. When we see how they got their money, then I'll worry about uh, Santos. Wow. I'm even going to financially support him as best I can. When he runs for re-election, I hope he does run for re-election, and I hope the people who are here in this phone call right now support Santos financially because we need to know how Pelosi and Charles, and I call him F.U. Schumer because I can't say it. Well, on, Vito. On, on, on the radio. Vito, I got to run, but I thank you for calling because there are very few of you who are willing to speak out, so I really appreciate you coming on and, and letting us know how you feel. Take care. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, now streaming only on Hulu. All right, changing gears, I have the guests uh, for my next guest, pop in, surprise guest, Ernie Anastos. Hello, Ernie. Hi, Laura. How are you? I'm great. Good. And Patricia Stark. Hi, Laura. They have a brand new show that comes after my brand new show called Positively Ernie and Patricia. Uh, This is part of our great lineup that uh, John Katsimatidis Mm -hmm. has put together on WABC. And I love to see you in the studio. I think it's great to be live, doing live radio as uh, as, uh, the... Curtis calls it its theater of the mind. Uh-huh. Yes. That's exactly what it is. So what do you guys, Patricia and Ernie, have in store for the listeners in the next hour? You know, we both have covered hard news uh, for I a long time. I know you have. Absolutely. You've actually interviewed me back in the yes, past in our I, previous I remember lives. That. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, right. And, and Patricia's been an anchor as well at I Fox know. News Channel. Yes, I know. So we have a news background. So as we're listening to you, you know, we're saying these are good topics, a lot of things that you're talking about. But we take a little bit of a positive approach to what goes on in the news. What a novelty yeah. <laughs> in our Well, you know, we figure on a Sunday evening, people are kind of wanting to recharge their batteries and get ready for a new week and to kind of just have a little bit of balance. Uh, What's going good in the world? Mm -hmm. What are some empowering things that we can kind of launch into a, a new week with? Yeah, and there's quite a variety, too, by the way. You know, we have a lot of variety. We're talking to a doctor about, you know, staying healthy, good information. Uh, We're talking about uh, career opportunities, but also Gloria Gaynor is joining us today. I will survive. She has survived. She sure has. She has one heck of a story, and she just keeps moving forward and doing all kind of things to keep empowering people. Mm -hmm. You know what's funny? People say they're sick of the negativity in politics and in the media, um, but there aren't a lot of positive op- options out mm-hmm. there for them. Yeah. Why, why do you think there is such a hunger for some optimism in our world right now that seems pretty pessimistic? It's a tough, it's a tough world. There's no question about it. We all know that. And, and we have to deal with the reality of life. I mean, we as journalists, you know, certainly uh, stand up for the right to have the information available to you. And also as journalists, you see a lot of negative yeah. things, whether yeah. it's crime scenes or scandals or the belly of the beast. You mm-hmm. see it. And yeah. all we're really talking about here is more balance, uh, you know, to be able to look at stories and say, OK, uh, if we take something, let's say, like bullying. OK, it's a problem. But how do we find a solution to mm-hmm. it? How do you make it better? That's what we're looking for. Yeah, I think that when you talk about people feeling like they're just inundated, everyone wants to be informed. But to feel like you're inundated without solutions, it's one thing to feel like you know what's going on. But who's offering? What can we do about it? Mm-hmm. What? How can we find what's positive here? Or, yeah. or what changes can we all make 
together yeah. to get things to be better. Yeah, and, and Laura, again, it's not it's not like, you know, what we call soft news. It's not like, you know, saving the cat in the tree, which is a good thing. Right. But, uh, <laughs> We're not dissing the cat you know, over here. No, <laughs> exactly. I love cats, too. I've had two of them, three of them. Uh, but, but the point is that we do take a, a nice issue, something that's really important, and we turn around and we say, okay, let's talk to an expert and find out, are we trying to make it better? Do we have a solution to it? Can we find a solution for it? And then bringing some uplifting interviews uh, into the format as well. So it's it's a good balance. So you're both veteran journalists. Mm-hmm. Uh, like with politics, there seems to be a mistrust of journalism and of news these days. How how can we, uh, now that I'm back in the ranks of, of, of journalism, right. how can we begin to rebuild that trust? So people listen to us. Maybe they don't agree with us all the time, but how could they trust that our intentions are good? I think people don't want to be told what to think or how to think. Amen. They want the information and they want to feel that it's put out there in a fair way. And then they want to be able to make the decision. And I think if you come across like from that perspective, you can regain people's trust. That's yeah. right. I trust you to make your own decisions. That's basically what you're yes. saying. Here's the information you need, but you do what you think you need to with right. that. Yeah. And I have found from covering the news for so many years, particularly in New York, that people now are confused because hmm. we have, is it news or views? And I think if it's identified as views that people say, okay, but what happens oftentimes is that we'll take something, uh, the media in, in, as a whole, and then turn it into a story with what they call alternative facts. Hmm. And I think that's confused a lot of people. Where is the truth? Right. And because we have so many sources of news and information that we didn't have before, I mean, I can go back not that long ago. That we only had three networks, yeah. ABC, CBS, and NBC. Uh, and that was it. But now you have a plethora of information sources and people are saying, well, where's the truth? And there's a lot of opinion out there. We just have to identify it as such. And think of social media, you know, while we have, which is great in so many ways because information is available to everybody sure. and everybody can be a citizen journalist, which I actually think is good. But then you have algorithms acting as the editor. You know, mm-hmm. people aren't reading the paper as much. They're not seeing the news as much, but they are getting the news on their phone that's fed to them basically through uh, uh, a machine mm-hmm. to milk money out of them mm-hmm. to you know to pay advertisers. There's no there's no uh, wisdom in that human wisdom yeah. in that like an yeah. editor would provide. And I think those algorithms also propagate because they're showing you what they think you want to see. What they think so if you they're just see. giving you more of what you're already looking at, you're not getting a diversity of views and opinions that way. Yeah. So what we're looking for is to get people to be part of what we do on the air, participate in positive stories. Again, you know, good information, solid information with a little bit of a positive spin to it. And that's what we're looking forward to. Yes. Thank you so much, <laughs> you, Patricia Stark and Ernie. Thank and you, Stay tuned in one minute. And thank you, listeners, for joining here us here on 77 WABC for Cut to the Chase. Join us right back here every Sunday at 4 p.m. And in case case you missed any of the show, you can find Cut to the Chase as a podcast on WABC.com, along with all of our wonderful shows like Positively Ernie and Patricia. Thank you very much. Thank you, Laura. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hi, it's Lou Dobbs for Priority Gold, America's precious metals dealer. These are volatile times with high inflation, soaring debt, wars on multiple continents, and rising financial stress. Central banks are buying gold to diversify their reserves, so are many Americans. Call Priority Gold and find out how precious metals can help you diversify your portfolio. They're highly rated and happy to help. Call 1-866-303-6357 or get a free gold guide at PriorityGoldGuide.com. That's Priority. PriorityGoldGuide.com